Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Amy. Our project is called Mind, Body, and Soul, The Nature of Well-Being, and this podcast is just one small piece of the overall project. We are making a documentary that follows our hike on the Continental Divide Trail that will explore how spending time in nature affects a person's mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. We are guinea pigs in a sense because we will be documenting our own experiences and recording changes that we find. Along the way, we are interviewing people about their experiences in nature to see how they have been affected. Much of the benefits that come from being in nature are subjective and therefore hard to measure in a quantifiable way. That's why we have turned to recording stories as a way to distribute this knowledge. Since the beginning of human culture, we have compressed valuable information into stories, and that's how we have shared wisdom throughout the generations. We hope that the stories we gather during this project will help spread some of the wisdom that can be found in the wilderness. Episode 8, Part 1 of 2. An interview with Dale Sanders about his world records. Dale holds multiple world records. His records include, but are not limited to, being the oldest person to hike the rim-to-rim-to-rim route in the Grand Canyon, completing it at 85 years old, and the oldest person to hike the Florida Trail. He was the oldest person to hike the Appalachian Trail, completing it at 84, and paddling the entire length of the Mississippi River, completing it at 80 years old. Those records have since been broken by slightly older people, but he plans to take back his Mississippi record this summer, now that he's 87. Dale's attitude towards life has allowed him to continue thriving into that older age, and he shares some of that wisdom with us that takes a lifetime to gather. I'm Dale Sanders, D-A-L-E-S-A-N-D-E-R-S, here in my home in Bartlett, Tennessee. Did you say you built this house? My wife and I pulled a contract and started building it in 2007. Moved in in May of 2008. Took us 10 months to build it. Yep. So we built it. Cool. We hired subcontractors and did the hard work. We did the easy stuff. (laughs) And believe me, it's not easy coordinating subcontractors building a home. (laughs) But we were able to get through it without having any liens put against the property. I'm sure that's a lot to juggle. Um, could you start off by just, uh, maybe just list off all of your big adventures? What are, what are you, what are the big things you've done? Well, list all of my adventures? Well, can I start with when I was, uh, young. I got involved in competitive, uh, swimming and diving at an early age, actually, and I went up through those, kind of, doing all the competitive sports at a young in high school and and then when I got in the Navy I joined the Navy in 58 uh, got into spearfishing and uh, I actually went pretty far in spearfishing now I, I actually uh, was able to win uh, some national cha- championships uh, national team championships as well as athlete of the year in spearfishing and in 55 and in 1965, when I won that award, I basically retired at that point. I just graduated from college, and then I went into profession and parks and recreation, and I didn't really do any adventures for about 30 years, because I was doing raising a family and, and uh, parks and recreation, but 
the, the profession I chose was an adventure in itself, Parks and Rec. So I, I had 50 years full-time experience in Parks and Rec, actually 52 years full-time experience in Park and Rec. Uh, but when I retired uh, from Park and Rec in 2002, uh, that's when I started my adventures, my early childhood type adventures back up again. And that's where we'll take off and talk about, about my adventures starting in 2002. Um, but first I want you to know that I did spend 37 years with the Department of the Navy in, uh, in my professional career. 33 of that, those years, were in the field of park and recreation for the Navy. So I worked not only for cities and, and districts in Park and Rec, but the military Park and Rec, which are called MWR as well. So that, that sometimes is confusing to people that how could he be in the Navy, with the Navy for 37 years and then retire from field in Park and Rec. And that's, that's how, because I was in Park and Rec in the Navy. I didn't even know there was a connection there. Well, it's called Morale, Welfare and Recreation, short MWR in the military. It's the same for all services. MWR, and they, it's about the, it's the same thing as the city municipal park and rec department, with the exception of the Navy, we would run the movie theaters, the child care centers, all the clubs, officers club, enlisted clubs, and all the uh, bowling lanes, and anything to do with leisure time services, we did it, and, and in a park and recreation program, uh, which we did also, all the park and rec stuff, like aquatics and field sports and things. But So it's a lot more complex than a municipality. So that was, that was a good experience working with the Navy. I, I loved the Navy. I loved the people. I'm, I miss park and recreation, especially the Navy part, the MWR part. Yeah, that sounds fun. Can you tell me about that helmet behind you? That what? The oh, the helmet? Yeah, when I, I joined the Navy in 58, they sent me to Hospital Corps School. Well, they, I'd already had a lot of experience in, in uh, aquatic world, paddling world and world as, as lifeguard experience. So even though I was a hospital corpsman, I was assigned to the Naval Hospital in Oakland, California, and they, they put me in charge of the uh, swimming pool and the aquatics program there. And then the Navy was looking for divers, especially hospital corpsman divers. So I was selected then to go to the hospital Corman Deep Sea Diver School in San Diego, second class school, and uh, so I became a Navy hard hat diver as well. So, but that, that was an adventure, no question about it. That was a good adventure, I experienced. Don't eat my shirt, girl. But, uh, it's my dog, Bailey. But uh, being, you know, everything in Park Rec is an adventure. But when I retired, that's when I got actively pursuing my adventure yeah, life again. <laughs> you don't want to bite the microphone cord. <laughs> you can go you if you want, want to. <laughs> Come on, say hi to the camera. Yeah. <laughs> so I, when I retired, I said, I'm going to have to live a life of adventure. So the first few years, I did a lot of paddling my canoe and kayak around the Memphis area and, and I 
some Mississippi River paddling and all. And I actually even became, I got hired again as a, as a river guide because I'd done so much volunteer work for the Wolf River Conservancy. So from my, my retirement year in 2002 all the way through uh, 2012 and 2013 and 14, I actually was on the staff for the Wolf River Conservancy. But then I got got my you know little itchy feet, so I decided I wanted to do something really big and get off the get off the Wolf River and get on the Big River and paddle the Big River. And I figured out that the oldest person to paddle the river was 78 years old. That was Vernon Kruger, Verlin Kruger, it's pronounced. And he did it at 78 years old, but I was 80 years old, and I said, I'm going to be 80 years old next year, so why don't I just do a source to see on the Mississippi River and try to get a world record at the same time? So then I quit my job on, with the Wolf River Conservancy as a river guide and started training. I went up to Lake Itasca, which is the source of the Mississippi River, and May the 15th, solo paddled all the way to Gulf of Mexico, 2,500 miles, and got that record as the oldest person to through paddle the Mississippi River. That got a lot of, got a lot of attention, a lot of media attention. I got, had so many interviews that, partially because of my age, but I think mostly I was interviewed because of my sponsor. I was paddling for juvenile diabetes. My grandniece, uh, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and been living with it for several years and I wanted to raise money to help with research to see if they can't come up with a way of curing that disease. And we raised quite a bit of money. My sister jumped in there with me, Judy, and helped me raise money. And we did quite well and donated all that money to JDRF, Juvenile Diabetes uh, Research Foundation. That helped me get a lot of media attention as well. But I got so I, I I tell you when I got so much media attention, so much television coverage on PBS and things of that nature, and it, I kind of it kind of got in my blood. I just kind of liked that, you know. I liked all that attention. It was neat. I hate to say that, that's selfish, but it's it's nice to be recognized, you know. And I hadn't been really recognized in Parks and Rec. I was just another Park and Rec employee, you know. Uh, even though I was a director and a boss in most of my jobs, it's still you don't have that personal achievement recognition. And I hadn't had it since I was in the spearfishing uh, arena back in the 60s. So when I got that Mississippi River record and getting all that media coverage, I knew I had to do something else. And I just, I got home and my wife and I talked it over and I have to do something really big. I mean, it's got to be really significant. I, I asked, I'm a believer in Facebook being a wonderful uh, way of promoting the adventure life. I even asked my Facebook followers, what do you think I should do for my next adventure? I got tons of things. Uh, I mean, just tons of ideas. I singled in on the Appalachian Trail. I found out that the oldest person to hike, full, true hike, the Appalachian Trail was 78 when he did it. And I would have, 
and I was going on 80, I was going on 81, but uh, I was, I, I was, I would be 82 when I'd actually hike it and, and break, break Earl Schaefer. Earl Schaefer's the founder of the Appalachian Trail Conservancy and he's the one whose record I broke. And I said, well, I'm going to wait when I'm 80 years old and I'm going to hike and I'm going to try to get that record. I'm not, I, I didn't grow up a hiker. I wasn't, I was a boulder. I wasn't really a hiker. I was told, I, I can't tell you how many times the hikers told me you'll never be able to do it because no one can make the Appalachian Trail through hike it unless they have experience as hiker. But I just tell them, I'm going to show them, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. They're just making me, they're just challenging me and telling me I can't do it. So that, I scheduled that for 20, 2020, uh, for 2017. But I didn't have anything to do on 2016. I did finish the uh, Mississippi River on 2015, so I wanted to do something for 2016. So I decided to join uh, a team and paddle the Missouri River race called the MR340. And it turns out that it took, took us 81 hours to, to finish that, and I was 81 years old. And it turns out that I became the oldest person to ever finish that race, the MR340. And that was, I sandwiched that in between the Mississippi River and the Appalachian Trail, and that was, uh, you know, a good thing to sandwich in there. And... Uh, Can you tell me how you made it 81 hours on purpose? <laughs> uh, well, both. The Mississippi, how did I end up doing the Mississippi River in 80 days and doing the MR340 in 81 days? because I slowed down just for the end. <laughs> On the MR340, we had to slow down to do it in 81 hours. We had to slow down a couple hours. It wasn't that much. But when I did the Mississippi River the year before, to do it in 80 days, I had to take a two-day break in New Orleans. Otherwise, I was going to finish in 78 days. And I wanted to finish it in 80, 80 years old, did it in 80 days. And that's the way I did it. In the planning process to do the Appalachian Trail, as I mentioned earlier, I was told that I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to do it. Too old, too hard, you had to have experience. But I decided I was going to tackle it. Now some of the things, and talking about the AT hike, I might get emotional because there's no question about it. It was the hardest thing that I ever did in my life. That, Nothing, no adventure or no job assignment or anything was as hard as, as the through hike, at, at eighty one, at eighty two years old. I started off uh, one January, twenty seventeen at Springer Mountain, and I finished. I flip flopped and I finished at. Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, on the 26th, 27th, 27th of October, the same year. It was a through hike. It took me 10 months. But if you take out the uh, zero days, uh, I was, my hiking it was 10 months, but I actually was hiking only seven months. 
because uh, the zero days made up two months of zero days. I got really, really sick. I had internal bleeding and I had to come off the trail for three weeks until we figured out what the internal bleeding was from and then the doctor released me and let me go back to the trail. And I had scheduled a couple of weeks off at the halfway point anyway to take a break there. Uh, and as as you know, uh, through hike is you got, you got twelve months to do it in anyway. So I I finished it two with two months still left to go. So I had and I did what I was told by all the experienced people that I talked with that I could not do. I did it. Was able to finish it. There were moments on the AT though that were just really, 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 really bad. I mean, really. I mean, life-threatening, just stranded in the middle of nowhere and cold and wet. I'll never forget one day. I was told by somebody to never, never quit on a bad day. Well, I'm not a quitter anyway. I don't quit things. I, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it unless something happens that I have no control over. You know, of course, of course, if I get sick or break a leg or something, I can't control that. But I, I did get one point in there when my van kept breaking on me that I was trying to bring along with me. I kept having all these issues with my knee and my left ankle, right knee and left ankle, and I was really in a depressed state in Vermont. Uh, going up the mountain, my vehicle broke. I was able to get it turned around some way. I'll never know how I got that thing turned around. It, the motor was dead, and I got it turned around on on the mountain so I could coast down. Like, got down to the bottom. I couldn't even find anybody to tow me. It was really bad. It was. I, here I am on the side of the highway, no vehicle, no 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 way to get anywhere, nobody would come help me. I called my wife Miriam and I said, Honey, I'm I'm coming home. I can't I just can't do it. I can't go anywhere. She said, No. I couldn't believe her reaction. You're going to have to finish this thing. If you don't, you'll never forgive yourself. And I got a little inspired, and I finally found a record that told me to a garage and got the van going again. And I, I, I got out back on the trail, and uh, I had a shuttler, see, that would shuttle my vehicle, help me shuttle the vehicle along. So. So I was doing what to do, a trade key program. A lot of times I would hike several days and I would hike, hitchhike or get a ride back down and bring my vehicle up with me. Some The first half of the trail, I would bring it up about 100 miles and bring my van up. I did learn one thing though for the second half of the AT. I learned that if I was gonna make it, I had to, I had to lighten up my load. Even though I was only carrying about 30 pounds, that was just too much. So I was able to start bringing my vehicle closer to me and doing what they call the trade key program. 
I found somebody that had a vehicle, another hiker that had a vehicle, so we did the trade key program where he would take my vehicle up and he would hike back to his and I would hike to mine. We'd pass in the middle of the trail, trade keys, and then we'd meet each other for the night, sleep there and camp there, do the same thing the next day. And I could, I could, uh, I never slack packed on the whole 18, not even once. But I, I carried my regular backpack with me, but it, it had, for a day hike, I only needed water and a few snacks and some emergency, just a, you know, like a sleeping bag and an emergency shelter. That's all I had to carry. So I got my weight under 20 pounds. Now I was able to start gaining weight back a little bit. I gained back a few pounds as I got down, I'd got down to 35, 135 pounds. And I, I, my body was, I wasn't getting enough I wasn't getting enough calories, or my body was getting calories, but it wasn't able to, to use them because I wasn't getting enough other nutrients to use the calories. So it was eating, started eating the muscle the first half. So thank God for the trade key program, I was able to stabilize my weight loss and, and got healthy again and finished that trail out. And, like and got, got that got that record as the oldest person to ever through hike the Appalachian Trail, and I still hold that. Since then, since 2017, this is 2021. There have been several attempts. One serious attempt, two years in a row. Pappy tried to break my record, but both years, things beyond his control happened, and he couldn't. He couldn't break it. So all you uh, hikers out there, if you want a good record to break and you're old enough, head out for the AT and break my record. That's a challenge. <laughs> you only have to be older than 82 years old when you finish to break it. <laughs> Tell me what it was like to get to the end, to be up on Katahdin. Well, what I did, I flip-flopped. Oh, that's right. Okay. I, I hiked from Springer Mountain to Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania, which is just a 20 miles more than halfway, roughly 20 miles above the halfway point. Then I flip-flopped and did Katahdin and hiked back south to Boiling Springs. Now, I, technically, I had one mile left to do because when I went through Harpers Ferry, the headquarters of the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, I skipped a mile there and I left it. So I could come back after I got to Boiling Springs and finish that one mile and finish, technically I finished the AT at the headquarters in West Virginia Okay. at, at Harpers Ferry. So what was it like to reach that point? at the headquarters. What was it like to get there and to finally be done? When, when, I, when I reached Boiling Springs, it was probably one of the happiest days of my life. I finished the AT all but one mile. That last mile, probably 50 people joined me to hike. And that was euphoric. And we're talking about euphoric experiences. That was an unbelievable, I was walking on cloud nine, nothing, I, I was just, just happiest I think I've ever been in my life 
to be able to walk into that Appalachian Trail Conservancy door, having just finished in 10 months the AT through a uh, through hike. That was really, really a good experience. And it was picked up on the media. It was, it was picked up by a lot of media, TV and coverage. While we were having a reception at the AT that day, the Washington Post lady showed up. I didn't know she was coming. She interviewed me for about, while we were doing the reception, she interviewed me for at least an hour, and I was supposed to be out with these people entertaining them and all. But it was worth it because the next day we went to Washington, D.C., and my wife went into a Starbucks, come running out with the Washington Post. I was on the front page of the, of the, of the uh, metro section. Not the front page of the post, but the metro section, which is really, really important. I was on, took up my picture, took up one third of the Washington Post metro page for, front page, and it was a huge article about me having broken that world record, and and so when she come running out with it, I, then I saw several people that day too around Washington that had seen it in the paper. So you know those kind of moments that sort of gets in your blood, you know. Again, I, I'm selfish, I guess, but I, I like to have that attention, that, that media attention. It kind of keeps me going, you know, it gives me inspiration. I get uh, thrilled by it, you know. That, well, I guess I got the bug because then I decided I would do something next year, also big, I decided real fast to go ahead and do the Florida National Scenic Trail. That starts at Key West, Florida goes the whole length of Florida, down the Panhandle, up through the roadwork of Alabama, the Penhody Trail, the Benton Mackay Trail, over to where I started two years before on the AT, Springer Mountain. And so I did that uh, in 2019. And uh, now, I, 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 right now, I have done every, I've hiked every foot. I have not missed passing any white blaze or orange blaze from Key West, Florida all the way to, to Mount Katahdin in Maine. I've hiked the whole thing. And all I like left to do the Eastern Continental Trail is from, from Maine to Northern Newfoundland. And I was supposed to do that this past summer. But we can't get into Canada, so I had to postpone it. Now, between the AT and the Florida National Scenic Trail, though, there was a year in there, and I took a year, that year, and I, that was 2018, and I went, I did a vehicle, I did a road trip with my van. I started in St. Louis and followed the Oregon Trail all the way to Astoria, Oregon. Portland is when it officially uh, stops, but I went all the way to Astoria. For, staying as close as I could and where I could, actually hiking the trail, the Oregon Trail. And that was a good experience as well, and, but, but it was not, you know, a, a, it was not a challenge for an age record. But for the Florida Trail, the Florida National Scenic Trail, the Penhody Trail, I do have world records in those as well, the oldest person. So now I've got the Mississippi River, the AT, the Florida Trail, Florida National Scenic Trail, Penhody Trail, 
and I'm working on, if I can ever get back into Canada, I want to finish up that Eastern Continental Trail. That's 5,500 miles. And I got about 1,800 miles left to go. And if next summer, this, this coming summer, 2021, if we can get into Canada, that's where I'll be. Hiking the, in uh, Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Quebec, and Newfoundland. That's a big addition. I didn't know it was that many more miles. Yep, it wow. is. It's all the way to northern Newfoundland is the reason okay. it goes. Now, the good thing is Gut Hook already has the Eastern Continental Trail from Katahdin to Quebec on as a Gut Hook trail option mm -hmm. to follow. Gut Hook, in my opinion, is the is, is God sent. I haven't actually used any of that on a trail yet, um, but I will be using that on the CDT. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. And you have the Grand Canyon, rim to rim to rim. <laughs> well, that was in uh, this year. That I, now I, you know I I couldn't get into Canada because I to finish up the Eastern Continental Trail. So what in the world am I going to do with this virus year 2020? So I thought thought got help again on Facebook ideas. Found out that the oldest person to do a rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon was 80 years old. So I talked with Guinness and they said, yeah, we'll prove your application. We'll, it was kind of late to get it in, so I had, to, I had to pay the fee to get them to prove it quickly. You know, Guinness, they, they take their time to do things, you know, they do it at their own speed, unless you come up with some money. Well, I came up with the money. I got a sponsor, Embercore Medical, out of Canada. They came up with the money and they paid for my, my entry fee. And I got uh, approval from Guinness to give it a shot to do a rim to rim to rim. Rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon is, in the particular case, to get this record, to break the 80-year-old's record, I had to start at, I had to start at the Bright Angel Trailhead on the south rim, hike down and cross, cross the, uh, the, the river, Colorado River, and hike up to Phantom Ranch, and then hike up to Cottonwood, and then out at the north rim, which is the South Co North Kebab Trail. Kebab, I think you call it North Kebab Trail. And then turn around and repeat that same route back to where I started on the south rim. And that's a rim to rim to rim. See, three rims involved. Start and then back to where I start. And so now I have that record with Guinness. And it's not recorded yet because I still haven't got all the documents that they want, but I have the stuff. I just hadn't had a chance to send it all in. And that, that takes priority pretty soon. I'm going to get that stuff in. So we get that, close that chapter in my life and move on for something in 2021 and for this coming summer. Yeah, 
I know what I'm going to do if the Canadian border is open. I'm going to do the uh, International Appalachian Trail, which is the remainder that I need to do to have hiked the entire Eastern Continental Trail, 5,500 miles. But if the border doesn't open, I've got to come up with something to do in 2021. So what was your motivation to start hiking in the first place? Well, let, let me, before I tell you what my motivation to start hiking in the first place was, let me tell you what I think I might okay. want to do yeah. in 2021. My, my Mississippi River record was broken this past summer. Stan may be watching me break his record. I might go back up to Katahdin and paddle my canoe. I'm going back up to, uh, I may go back up to uh, Lake Atasca and paddle my canoe down to the salt water in the Gulf of Mexico and get that record back. So I've got two things now, the Eastern Continental Trail, the Mississippi River, and there's a couple other things on the bucket list as well. But those are pretty high. One of those is pretty high. Now, how did I get started? Why did I just start to start hiking in the first place, the AT? Being a boulder, I'd never hiked. Well, I grew up on a farm in Kentucky. And I, I can't say I'd never hiked, but I'd never done really, really long distance stuff. I'd done a lot of short hiking, but nothing really, that's, that's why I was told that I'll never be able to do it because I've never done any long distance hiking. So I just knew though that if I had control of it, I, I, would, I would finish it. You know what my greatest fear was hiking the AT? That I would break an ankle. It's a lot of rocks. It has, you know, you, you've heard the reputation. Pennsylvania is all rocks. It's terrible. Walking through those rocks for 2,200 miles I didn't think I would be able to do it without breaking a bone. To be honest with you, when I first started it, I, I thought my chances of finishing were, were maybe less than 1%. I didn't think I would be able to finish it. I, I thought something would happen that I had no control over. And I figured it would be a fall. I did have one fall on the AT. Uh, coming down Kinsman Mountain, it was a hard one. It was a hard fall. It, it hurt my hip really bad. I was able to keep going, but it was really bad. So I guess the bottom line is, of why did I go into hiking? It's because I, I think that I really not only went into the hiking the AT, but stuck with it was the fact that they told me I couldn't do it. And I, I, someone tells me I can't do something, you know, I got that stubborn Hankins personality my mother's side of the family, we're going to do it. That's just our personality, you know. So I guess, and and the drive to the drive to uh, become the oldest person that that certainly was very intriguing, and I knew it was going to be a big deal if I could break that age record, Earl Schaefer's age record. I knew. It, Hiking the AT was going to be a big deal, but it was actually a bigger deal than I expected. I had no idea that I was going to get as much attention worldwide as I did. A friend of mine texted me from Montana. He said, Dale, you're everywhere. Yeah. 
Well, that was back during the time when the Russia investigation and all was going on. And I said, what's that? What do you mean? He said, I just saw you on Russian television. They ran one of your programs. I said, I don't know whether that's good news or bad news. <laughs> of course, deep down in my heart, it was good news. <laughs> <laughs> that is a big deal. Wow. I'll start getting to the some general questions that I'm trying to ask everybody. Um, you you talked about this already, but um, have you been interested in being in nature your whole life, or was there some sort of event that uh, have I you have I been interested in nature my whole life? Yeah, I have, and there was some sort of an event. Um, I, I found out that I was bullied a lot in junior high school, an awful lot. And I found out if I could do something well, the bullying would go away. The first time it happened was acrobatics. I got involved in acrobatics and did a lot of hand balancing and tumbling. And we didn't have a tumbling program in the school in those days when I graduated, in the early 50s, you know, when I was in high school. So my friend and I just did it on our own. So we got good enough and we were sent to other schools around the county to perform. Well, the bullying went away and I, I contributed the bullying went away to the fact that I was able to do something well. And it just happened to be a physical activity. I wasn't very good at studies. You know, I graduated from college, yeah. I got a couple of college degrees, but they weren't easy for me. But physical activities was easy. So then when, I, I think I, my whole life was set based on that, that experience of getting, of, of doing something I thought, I, I, it probably did, in fact, it probably did have something to do with the bullying stopping. But I think it had more to do with the friends that became my friends in that circle of acrobatic, they wouldn't let anybody pick on me anymore. I think it had a lot to do with that too, but, I, I, in my mind, my people mind, I was saying, because I'm good, they're not picking on me. So not, that's why I went into competitive fish, spear fishing, why I did springboard diving and competitive swimming before that. And that's why I'm sure that I got involved in doing these big, long adventures when I did the Mississippi River. And I, so I, my adventure life did not really start again until I was 80 years old was the Mississippi River. And all those things we've talked about, Mississippi River, the MR340, Missouri River, the Appalachian Trail, the Florida Trail, Florida National Scenic Trail, the Rim to Rim, all those things happened after I turned 80 years old. And, and, and I guess that's the reason why I got involved in hiking. And I guess, being picked on, the best I can come up with, being picked on and bullied is the reason, the event that happened that got me into them. It's really interesting that those really early life events can have... They, early life thing. events can, they, they stick with you, man. They stick with you for your whole life, early experiences. Yeah, they do shape you, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, what do you think the benefits of spending time in nature are? 
Oh my gosh, what are the benefits? Spending time in nature? Well, we've talked about a lot of them, as you know, is doing something and getting the feeling of accomplishment. Those are really great, and the, and the feeling of recognition as well as accomplishment. Uh, I'm not getting paid any money to do all this stuff. I do have sponsors, but it's usually in the form of gear, not cash. Uh, it's nice to have sponsors and get gear, and that's that's nice. But I think the biggest payday for me, having done all these different types of, some of very difficult challenges, is that I have learned Basically, I, this is an old cliche of who I am. I, th I think I've learned what I've said all my life. Basically, the expression, become one with nature or become one with the river. I've been saying that my whole life, but I really didn't know what I was saying. I wasn't, I, I didn't understand it. And it wasn't until I was on the Appalachian Trail that I really understood what being one with the trail or one with nature is all about. And it's the most, I mean, euphoric, euphoric experience that I've ever encountered, even more euphoric than the experiences I had in my first big adventure of the Mississippi River. But I can't seem to come up with the words of how I felt to tell it. It's just, I, I know that I became one with nature and the trail in this case, because I was in a situation where everything was going good, going great. I was healthy jumping along the trail and happy and blobbing and getting, passing out my decals and getting recognized and talking to hikers and all. And in one place I went out on this mountain top by myself, warm and not cold, not wet, and looked around and all of a sudden I had this feeling that I was, even though I was alone, I wasn't alone. Nature was with me. God was with me. Superpower, whatever you want to call it. I was there, I was in you. That was, that was the most intense feeling that I've ever experienced in my entire life. I can't even tell you how it was to become one with nature. Best I can do is I have one way to explain it a little bit as smell. My whole life, what I've gotten, when I've gotten since I've been an adult, every once in a while, I will, I will smell something that will take me back to my childhood for a second or two. And that smell makes me feel exactly as I felt when I was a child doing something or whatever. And that one second or so is just so euphoric and wonderful. I'm sure everybody's had this experience with smell. It's only smell that'll do it. 
and take me into that state of mind. Well, I was in that state of mind, not with smell, but within the environment that I was in. The environment itself was doing it, not the smell. And I was 30 minutes there, I was just top of the world. And I felt closer, I felt closer to God than ever in my entire life during that experience. And some people don't want, I call it, call it whatever, call God, I still like to say God, but some people would like to say the designer, the creator, the, the uh, superpower, or whatever. Something designed me, something put me there, something, I'm there because of something put me there, not because I just happened. And I saw that in that euphoric moment that I was, 30 minutes that I was with, one with nature. Would you say, did it feel like you were remembering where you came from? <sighs> Ever since I've been an adult, I, I think I remember way back right after, I think I remember before I was born. I, I, I have this a, a memory of me floating through, it, it, I, when I first did this when I was real young, I, I started doing this actually when I was real young, feeling this and this memory and it's, it's like I'm floating in something that now we look at as a cosmos, but I felt that as a young kid, I was floating in the cosmos. And then I, I remember when I was really young being born. I, I, I think that I might be gifted with something special there to be able to know that I came from someplace else. I don't know where I came from. It's just very vague memory, but those memories are way back. And they are, they are there, and I believe that I believe that I existed in some form or way before I was born. You know, something I, I don't think I've ever said to anybody very much. When I was probably five or six years old through for a couple, three years there, I would have these dreams of where, and I was awake, I wasn't really, I call them dreams, but I was awake, where I would feel like I was huge, man, I'm a monster, I'm terribly big, Woo! everything, I'm so big. All of a sudden, immediately, I would be so tiny, I'm just so tiny, everything is bigger than me. So if you look at, I don't know what the meaning of that was, but I mean, it was really a weird feeling because I would be one second or one minute feeling one way and the other, the other minute the other way. And you know, we, there's so much, we are here. There's so much smaller than us and there's so much bigger than us that we don't know. And maybe I was having some kind of sensation about I am bigger than so much and I am smaller than so much. And I am so much as I couldn't be here unless I be, was created couldn't be here. So you're kind of having a dream about what it's like to be kind of a part of everything, I think. 
Well, you yeah. can be everything and you can be nothing at the same time. That, that, that's kind of the way I felt. I was either, I was everything or I was nothing. Large or small. And that actually came, came in that feeling. I was everything or I was nothing. Have you ever had anybody say that to you before? Not, not in those words. And, 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 and I'm, not, I'm not making it up. That is a fact. Mm-hmm. We grew up in a log house on a tobacco farm in southwestern Tennessee, southwestern Kentucky. And we didn't have a lot of money and all. And I remember laying in that log house in the bed, in the crib, when all this was happening to me. And we tore that house down and when I was seven years, when I was uh, nine years old. So it, all this, these experiences happened before I was nine years old. People have told me that children especially, um, since they haven't grown up and since they haven't kind of learned what not to think, they still remember where they came from. Because, and they're still more in touch with that. Because I feel like when we grow up, we lose we, t- track yeah, of we that. Lose touch with that. Uh-huh. that. I think that's what happened to me when I started getting bullied, bullied around nine or ten. I really just sort of lost interest in life. I, I, was, I was getting physically beat up. And the principal, in those days, the principal of school would just laugh. They wouldn't do nothing. Nobody would do anything. My mother finally got involved, but that didn't really help. It just made it worse. So I'm thinking that I lost a lot of those type of feelings when I started to bully him because then, then's when I started to become more earthly-like, you know, just surviving here. And I never really got some of those feelings back until I was on the Appalachian Trail. Interesting. So it took a long time to to get back to that. Yeah. That was from, I was on the Appalachian Trail at 82, and around 9 or 10 is when they went away. Would you say when you were on the AT, is it, was it kind of being like being a kid again, or was it something else? That, you, I could express it it was like being a kid again in in a natural environment. Yeah, because I hadn't experienced that life before like that out alone. See, with the AT, I hiked alone. And when I paddled the Mississippi River, I paddled solo. But there was a film crew with me, and there was another, two, two, two friends paddled. One quit about halfway down, but, but one friend went all the way with me. But, but cause I wasn't really alone on Mississippi River, but I was solo paddling. But in the AT, I was alone for 10 months, basically. So that, I think that brought me back to nature, being alone. I got the worldly corruption out of me. I think that's when I probably got healed. That's about the same time I started recognizing what had happened to me and why I was so competitive, the bullying. About the same, I never thought of that before, about the same time, the AT. So the AT, to me, was a healing process. It took 70 years, though. 
It's amazing how long you can carry that around without yeah. even really knowing it. I carried that baggage for 70 years, not realizing it was there. So do you think it was, was it nature or was it being alone that helped you realize that? I think it was all of the above. I, I, I think that I grew up in, in church. My mom was a strong Christian. I got away from it most of my adult life. I found out that I could be closer, that the church didn't put me close to God, nature did. I hate to say that to my Christian friends, but I'm really closer to God in nature. So if you take that and you couple the fact that I'm out there alone, I'm out there enjoying the experience and I'm looking at nature, I'm living it, I'm one with nature. Yeah, I think that's what did it. I think that was the healing process. And I don't think it would have ever happened if I hadn't hiked the AT. So something that I've noticed when I hike alone is that um, I stop thinking about myself. I start to, I kind of lose my self-awareness or my self-consciousness and I start to just like be in the environment. And that actually helps me understand a lot of things about myself because I'm not so like stuck in my head all the time. Have you felt that? Yeah. I didn't think of it. I've never, I didn't think of that a minute ago, but I think that I definitely stopped thinking about myself because I, I would think about myself in terms of what am I going to, you know, how am I going to survive today with water and food and shelter, but it was a different kind of thinking, not in competition with anyone or with any society or any business. I'm only in competition with nature, and that's it. All I've got to do is survive nature, and I'm in good shape. And I think in that respect, yeah, I was able to put aside my, all of my thoughts, except I, I still thought about myself. But I wasn't, I wasn't worried about anything else or anyone else or anything. I was just enjoying the experience. True, raw experience. I was enjoying it. I think another thing is that there's nothing else that's trying to influence you, like you said, with being in society. The competition, influence, yeah. Nothing was giving me competition, nothing was influencing me, nothing was pressuring me to do anything. I made all of my own decisions choices and I could do that based on what the the situation was at the moment yeah and that's because nature doesn't really care about you it's just nature is just there it's just there and it's not controlling my life I just have to find a way to live with it and that's another way you could say living you know one with nature you're finding a way to live with it in it, part of it. It's, it's that living with thing is it's such, it's such a big, it's a big thing, but it's very hard to explain. At least it is for me. I I don't know. Maybe others have others been able to explain that phrase to you. What it really means to them? Um, not very well. <laughs> Everybody touches on it, and they say some things that are meaningful, but they don't feel like they're really 
explained it fully. I've, I have spent hours deep in my heart searching to find answers to, to those, those questions about why am I here? How can I be, what does that phrase be one with nature mean? What, how, how do I survive without the modern conveniences of life? So, mm -hmm. anyway, going back to something I'm repeating, I would have never been able to have this state of mind that I have now. Very, po I'm a very positive person. I don't see things negatively hardly at all. I, I, if you look at my Facebook post there, it's all positive and not negative. Um, I wouldn't be able to live that way if I hadn't done the AT. So it did it? Did the AT change my life? Huge change. Of course, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget any of the five big adventures I've done, but the AT was the biggest one, no question about it. So, what was it about the AT that made you so positive? Be learning how to survive alone in nature and developing those feelings of euphoria that I'm actually doing this and enjoying it. Um, what do you think the benefits are of being in nature alone versus with people? Do you, do you enjoy both or what are the I enjoy both. Cons? I enjoy the variety. Well, I, I was ready to come back to home and come back to my family, come back to my friends and come back to my life. But you know, there's after any big adventure, you you know, you have some there's a post adventure depression, <laughs> PAD, <laughs> and the longer the adventure, the longer the post adventure depression is going to be. But when you get through that and you go back into your routine life, it's fun, it's nice to get back to it for a while. But it doesn't take once you get the bug. You don't have to live in your normal life very long until you're ready to go for another one. See, like right now, I'm earlier, yeah, I'm planning, what am I going to do this year? You know, another virus year on my hands. Canadian border is probably not going to open up. So what am I going to do this summer for an adventure to get me back into nature? This is the end of part one with Dale Sanders. We kept going for another hour, though. Part two is next. Don't miss it. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Then head over to our YouTube channel called Wilderness Mindset, where you'll find a lot of videos that have similar themes.